Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today we're going to continue looking at some of our short apologetic questions, and we've chosen a big question for today. We are going to look at the subject of death and suffering. Not uh, going into huge amounts of detail, but I want to just try and sketch out a biblical response to the problem of death and suffering. As anyone who's been a Christian any amount of time can tell you, this is a very difficult question. It comes up in many different ways and from many different people, and it's a question that kind of gets right to the heart of what it is to be a Christian. We're not going to be able to answer it fully, but what I would like to do is maybe just try and pull some strands together that at least maybe take away some of the venom or the sting of this question when it's thrust upon us. It's not only a philosophical question, it's also a very personal question. There is a way that we can look at it philosophically. Uh, this has been done over the years by philosophers looking at the what they call the logical problem of evil, trying to find out whether there is actually a, a logical incompatibility between the existence of death and suffering and a, and a, and a God who is uh, benevolent or a, a good God. And that's really been dealt with in, in the academy and it's kind of been proven that there isn't a, a logical contradiction but people would then come back and say, but it's quite unlikely. So th that's where the debate is in that area, but that's not so much what I'm going to focus on today. I want to just look at offering a biblical response while taking into account the very personal nature of this question, because I believe that's more where it comes from. It's often asked from a place of emotion or personal pain, and I think we need to be sensitive to that. And often, many of us as Christians, we try and answer it from this position too. We've experienced things in the world, we've maybe lost someone that's close to us or we're going through a situation that is causing huge amounts of pain to us at the moment and we ask these questions, don't we? We ask these why questions and we look for support and comfort and we want answers. Sometimes we don't find them. So that's really where we're, the, the angle that we're going to take as we look at this. Now the first thing I'd like to make, make us aware of that I believe is important is to understand that this question never, never arrives in a vacuum. It doesn't just come from nowhere. Questions are always built upon a framework of belief, even if the people asking them don't actually realise that they have a framework of belief. So what we need to ask or identify as we look to respond to this question is which framework best makes sense of the question. You see, this is one thing. It's always thrown at Christians, this question. What about death and suffering? God can't exist. It's not just a problem for us. I believe every worldview must answer the problem of death and suffering. And this is where we see how strong the Christian worldview's answer is, because many other worldviews, they can't even justify the question. You see, if you hold to a, a maybe in one of the Eastern religious worldviews, evil is often talked about as just being an illusion, or it's a result of karma. So in which case, if, that's, if that is true, why are we complaining about it? Probably the main view that we engage with in our part of the world would be the atheism or secularism, humanism, all these different names, or naturalism, these viewpoints that obviously don't believe in any sort of God, Darwinian evolution, that's the biggest view. So let, let's engage with that view a little bit. And that's really where the objection comes from. So let's deal with it philosophically, then we'll try and maybe offer a, a short response to that in the time that we have. There was a famous sceptic called David Hume. Most of his work was done on uh, countering miracles, really. But he, he wrote this at one point. He says, Were a stranger to drop on a sudden into this world, I would show him a specimen of its ills, a hospital full of diseases, a prison crowded with malefactors and debtors, a field of battle strewed with carcasses, a fleet foundering in the ocean, a nation languishing under tyranny, famine or pestilence. And in a similar vein, the atheist Bertrand Russell, 
he had a famous, the way he, he posed this question is he would ask, how can anyone talk about God while kneeling by the bed of a dying child? He noticed very immediate, everyone can relate to the, the horrible situation that that would be. It gets right to the emotions. But one of the things we need to just step back for a moment and look at these objections from these two atheists. You'll notice they're presenting these things as if they are wrong. They have immediately put right and wrong. It's just C.S. Lewis said, how do you know a straight, how do you know a crooked line unless you know the straight line? This is the point. They smuggle in moral categories that the atheist position cannot even justify. Let me flesh that out for you a bit. Richard Dawkins probably gave us the most clearest explanation of this in a quote where he says this, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. No evil and no good. You see, the universe is amoral. It's, it's a closed system in the atheist worldview. But yet, Dawkins himself, he wrote his whole book, didn't he, where he basically just raised moral objections against God. Bertrand Russell does it, David Hume does it. They are bringing in these moral categories which I don't believe their worldview can justify. Where do they get these concepts of right and wrong from? Now I obviously know that they, there are some answers that they give. They are the result of the evolutionary process, so on and so forth. But I don't really think these hold too much weight. Can they really raise a problem with moral implications if this is not a moral universe? Again, C.S. Lewis, he says the moment we use the word better we assume a point of reference, but they don't have that point of, rest of reference. This is the problem. So I don't believe that really the atheist worldview can even justify the question. Now, I know that obviously atheists are totally capable of looking and acknowledging well, evil when it is evil, but it's the problem that they actually, what is their definition? Um, this, is, this is where the question really comes back to it. These things have to be grounded, not just acknowledged. Now, I know and I could explain why from the Christian worldview they do acknowledge these things, and I'm glad they do. It's because God has planted in us that moral awareness. We're moral beings. He's given us his conscience. It's a conscience. He's put it on our heart, he says in the book of Romans. Now, this is where the Christian worldview comes in. I believe we can be much more consistent when we talk about evil and suffering and offer a response. We actually have a way that we can ground these things. So the skeptic cannot even justify the question without borrowing moral categories from the Judeo-Christian worldview. Most of the time he doesn't really realise that's what he's doing, but that is actually what's happening. So removing God from the paradigm does not solve the problem. It does not make the question any easier. So I would argue that the problem must be resolved by keeping God within the picture and offering the full scope of the Christian narrative. This is the Christian worldview. Because we will have not only the explanation and cause for suffering, but we also offer real hope to those who are in the midst of it. So we have the big picture. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created that original world absent of death and suffering. It says in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Everything he made, and it was very good. So at this point, it would not have included death and suffering, because later on in the Bible, we know that death is called the last enemy to be defeated. 
So therefore, God would not proclaim something very good in his own new creation if it already included the last enemy. Another thing we learn from this is that God, in his sovereignty, allowed his creatures a measure of freedom. You see, God's design for mankind was that his creatures would be able to truly love him, to be in that love relationship that's the purpose of our creation. But true love necessitates the freedom to choose. God created man with the power of contrary choice. And this meant that they could freely and honestly enter a loving relationship with God without any coercion or any sort of pre-programming on behalf of God. But it also meant that they would have the power to make a choice that would go contrary to God's intended design. This is the high cost of true love. And it was Satan, you see, having already abused his power of contrary choice, who sought the opportunity to exploit the same prospect in Adam and Eve. If you go right back to Genesis chapter 3, that passage we call the fall of man, where the serpent comes and tempts Eve by denying God's word. Has God really said you shall not die? God had told them if you disobey me, if you cut yourself off from the source of life, death will enter. Dying you shall die, it says literally in the Hebrew. And it talks about obviously the spiritual death that occurs, that is the separation of the communion and fellowship that they had with God, the source of life. And this then leads to physical death too. This was the entrance of death and with it all the suffering and pain that come with death came into the world at this point. Romans 5 chapter 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see this is the problem here, death and suffering entered the world and the creation was now corrupted, suffering. In a lot of this as we see in the world, man is actually responsible for much of the evil that we see around us now. Fallen man, we are now we're sinners. Death spread to all men, because all sinned. Jesus said in Matthew fifteen nineteen, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slandering. Matthew fifteen, that was Jesus's words. Out of the heart these things come. James chapter one verse fourteen, it says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So a lot of these things now come from our sinful heart. Evil that we see in the world is fallen man operating according to his fallen nature with his fellow man, where we've, we've lost sight of the fact of God's original command that we're all created equal in the image of God and therefore we should not hurt another human being. But now in the fallen world, these things are not so. There's also an issue with natural evil, natural disasters, diseases and things like this they cause huge amounts of human suffering. This is also explained by the fall of man, that it wasn't just mankind that was fallen, the actual whole creation was affected at that moment when sin and death entered the world. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20 to 22, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation has been groaning together. It's subject to futility. The actual creation was cursed at this moment when sin and death came into the world. It's like the world is like a, it was a beautiful building, but it's been infested by termites and it's been corrupted. And this is the Christian message. You have to understand where we are in order to understand the good news. You see, God promised a saviour. The history of the Bible, the history of redemption, the story that we tell, that we call the gospel, 
is the story of God coming into this world, not to make it better in one sense, but to redeem us from it. And ultimately, he will redeem the world. But it's to redeem us from this world, to take us and defeat death. He gives us the new life. This is what we mean when we say you're being born again. You see, God entered into this world. He suffered with us in order to defeat death. And therefore, he identifies with us in our infirmities. He promises to carry us through it. But he also has the power to one day ultimately remove it all from the earth. This is the Christian message. It offers us that hope because he is a God of hope. He is a stronghold in times of trouble. He is described as being our refuge. It is said that he is the God of all comfort, the God of mercy. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf. He promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. This is what we have to offer people in the midst of this, this world that can be so hard at various times. And this is why only he, Jesus Christ, can ultimately deal with the problem of evil because he's the only one who's defeated death. And he gives us the hope of this promise that one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Revelation 21 verse 4. So that is what we have to offer the dying child. That is our answer to Russell. We have hope beyond any other worldview. And we have a hope that is founded on the facts of the Christian religion and Christian history. The Christian worldview provides not only the cause and the explanation of evil, but it also tells us the resolution of evil. And it is Jesus Christ. Psalm 46 verse 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble and in the midst of suffering we can lean on him and take comfort in the promise that one day the world will not be like this thank you for listening i hope that's a short answer that can maybe just offer you some ways to think about responding to this question I'd like to just thank you for listening to the podcast. I just encourage you, if you can, please go on to iTunes or SoundCloud, subscribe to the podcast. And also, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, could you please leave us a review? This helps us um, get up into the search rankings. And also, if you have any questions, please go on to the website, thomasfretwell.com. You'll hear it at the end. You can just go to the contact form and ask any questions that you, you want. They can be theological questions, anything you want maybe to do a podcast on. And you can see my speaking schedule on there and a number of other published works. Uh, thank you again. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please go to thomasfretwell.com.